Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. I had astrologer Catherine Urban back to talk about the upcoming Pluto and Aquarius transit which we will encounter for three months in 2023, starting March 23rd. We'll have Pluto in Aquarius for just a brief amount of time. It'll retrograde back into Capricorn and then return in 2024 to Aquarius for 20 whole years. So we have this zeitgeist shift upcoming. We're already feeling the precursors, the seeds. I shared a recent episode here about some psychological and experiential themes on Pluto and Aquarius. And if you remember, I mentioned Catherine wrote an article series about Pluto and Aquarius in history and culture that I loved. So I wanted to have her here to talk about it. We discussed some of the macro cultural trends that are up with Pluto and Aquarius, like the expansion of technological progress for better or worse or up for debate and artificial intelligence and the cultural dimension of Pluto and Aquarius that is the dominant thought paradigm of the day, sweeping the zeitgeist, and more. Catherine Urban is a mama, mage, and astrologer. With with over 12 years of astrological immersion, Catherine's practice is steeped in classical, humanistic, mundane, and horary technique. Specializing in forecasting, Catherine empowers her clients to become alchemists of their own charts, while gaining confidence and clarity on their path. Author of your astrological cookbook, The Perfect Recipe for Every Sign, Catherine offers astrological insights on YouTube, IG, and www.catherineurban.com. Teaching astrology is one of her biggest loves. Connect on all platforms at Astro Catherine. For those of you wanting to go deeper into studying Pluto-centered astrology, evolutionary astrology, with me this winter, Dragon of the Moon and Evolutionary Astrology Initiation, previously known for the last five years as the Evolutionary Astrology Intensive, is beginning again February 23rd. This is an all-levels program designed to give you the transmission of evolutionary astrology so that you can build your own intuitive, spiritual, and technical relationship to the art of this karmic soul-centered astrology. Click the link in the show notes for the course page and application. FYI, the scholarship tuition assistance application is attached to the main application. And at this point, I have some partial scholarships left. And I'll leave you to this conversation with Catherine Urban now. Be haunted by the good, the pressure of a memory an awakening that requires that everyday life become elevated. What if I don't know how to get there? What if I don't believe that it will happen? What if I'm comparing my whole life to a spark of a moment? The pressure of the good. Hungry Ghosts of Paradise is an audio novella shared in full to Magic of the Spheres podcast by Sabrina Monarch. 
Listeners were enchanted, shed tears, and found this novel to be an act of soul retrieval. It is a novel for Eros, a project of alchemizing grief, and a tale of tragic love that will take you all the way up and all the way down into a secret third portal on the other end. Find the chapters between episodes 170 and 206 of Magic of the Spheres podcast, or see the link in the show notes for the Spotify playlist organizing all the chapters in one place. To a spark of a moment, the pressure of the good. Hey everyone, I'm here back with Catherine Urban, who's been a guest on this podcast several times. I think the last time we met up, we were talking about family astrology, um, right? Yeah, that was our first time. Yeah, our first time we were talking about family astrology. Oh, we talked about the Saturn-Uranus transit. Yes. Yeah, so the last time we connected, we were also talking about like a collective transit. Right, and I love the way that you talk about the transits and you wrote this recent article series about Pluto and Aquarius, which is coming up in March um, of this year. And I really wanted to have you on because you wrote this like wonderful like explanation of the archetype in the collective and also like a historical um, catalog of like other times Pluto has been in Aquarius. Um, so yeah, how are things going currently? How's your astrology practice? What's moving for you? Thank you. Yeah. Um, so currently I am still doing client consultations one-on-one. I tend, my practice tends to focus on traditional techniques, although I do have a background in like modern and psychological astrology as well. So probably like you, Sabrina, I tend to attract Plutonian people. And my daughter has a really strong Pluto signature. A lot of my clients, a lot of my students end up having strong Plutonian signatures. And Yeah, I think at the time that we were chatting, just a lot, like it seemed like every single client had a really strong Pluto signature in their chart or some kind of wild Pluto transit dominating their life. And I still I still get those, although lately it's been it's been a a mixed bag more lately. Maybe it's because of Mars and Gemini. (laughs) I want to read something that you wrote in this Pluto article. It was your description of Pluto close to the beginning of the first article, Um, but I just loved this. Um, You said, on the collective terrain, Pluto tends to confront topics associated with each zodiac sign by catalytically uprooting cultural toxicity fermenting beneath a cracking veneer. Pluto doesn't do facades. It takes pleasure in exposing the shadow realm, but mostly because it feels so fucking good to purge toxins. And also because Pluto, the scapegoated Olympian, thrives on pointing out what's really going on behind the scenes in the happier above-ground dimension. Congruently, Pluto induces a reflexive panic, collective attempts to control the very thing being exposed. The fight to control rallies against the natural order of metamorphosis. It is an epic battle indeed. Um, I just felt like that was such a good and poetic and succinct description of the vibe of Pluto and it felt you know I feel like there's something around um the reality that like what's underneath will eventually come out 
it may take some time. And there's these drives culturally or personally to keep things suppressed. Um, and I think Pluto is so much about that of like, what's the deeper thing? Even things that are not necessarily bad, you know, if we want to use that language, but even just people's deepest desires and the kind of like complexes and shames uh, stories and whatnot that go around that. Thank you so much for that quote. And yeah, I, I was thinking a lot about obviously like the transit that's wrapping up with Pluto and Capricorn and how at the beginning of that transit, because I know you and I were both getting into astrology around that time of that ingress. And I was so optimistic. I was like at Occupy Wall Street and I was hoping like, this is it. Like we're toppling the patriarchy and the oppressive order. Like it's happening, Pluto and Capricorn. And of course it didn't happen. Of course we saw, you know, billionaires become trillionaires and things became almost more corrupt. So it's like we saw this simultaneous awakening to corruption at like a corporate level and political level. More and more people were just like paying attention and talking about it and calling it out. But at the same time, the problem got worse almost. You know, the same things that people were upset about there in Zuccotti Park. It was like those things became a bigger gargantuan. And that's what Pluto does is it it can blow things out of proportion. I thought it was interesting with Pluto and Capricorn how there was such a rise of cancel culture um, and this kind of villainization of people that are perceived to have power um, either because they have like a public presence, you know, they're part of the world, Capricorn, they have influence, whatever it is. And this kind of pointing fingers or like gathering collective groups to be like they're bad or like they need to like come down, you know, and how toward the end of Pluto and Capricorn, there was this whole movement within cancel culture, even like leaders who had maybe taken part of it, who were like, do we need to change this? Like, this isn't the answer. Like, maybe we need to learn how to grieve or, you know, it's not about targeting you know, projecting like all this evil onto this person, this like flawed human and like, yeah, trying to destroy them and enacting this kind of, yeah, angry mob consciousness. Yeah, that makes me think about like social structure as like a Capricorn collective sort of topic with, with what you're saying. And it also reminds me of how trendy it was for a little while. And this was especially when Saturn was in Capricorn too with Pluto, but it was like hustle culture and being like a, like a boss bitch. Oh yeah. (laughs) I forgot about that. (laughs) And then, and then as soon as Saturn left, everyone was like, no, we need to nap. (laughs) Oh, that's so right. I forgot about that because there was a time where it was really celebrated the hustle culture. And then there was this whole other like dismantling of the hustle and like, Yeah, learning how to do business in another way that's not so extractive to the body. Yes. Yeah. I just remember Gen Z making fun of like millennials for like having like, especially like white, uh, like female uh, millennials is having like this boss like mindset. (laughs) (laughs) Like, calm down. (laughs) You know, I remember actually, I was part of this like boss babe network, like probably around. 
2013, um, because I was trying to get Monarch Astrology off the ground. And like I met sure. my one of my logo designers from it. But I remember totally having this like personal cosplay of with myself of like coffee and like I'm like working on my business. And it was this little kind of like fantasy to surround what I was doing. Like I had to almost put on the character archetype of like, I'm a businesswoman, you know, to get started and change my life in that direction. It quickly shifted, but there was just this like little romanticism about Capricorn that definitely came over me. Totally. Absolutely. I think it was, it was helpful. Um, It helped us, it helped us, especially those of us who are very Neptunian, (laughs) (laughs) a little bit of structure into our lives. So yeah, I'm grateful. But yeah, that just kind of showed me in reflecting on Pluto and Capricorn and how like Pluto isn't just a, it's not just about rebirth. You know, we want it to be. and And I think on a personal level, it can be for sure. But when we're talking collective transits, um, our, we, we have less autonomy, right? Like when, you or I or a, a client is going through a Pluto transit and we bring consciousness, we bring awareness to what it is that we're working through, what it is that we're moving through. We have more autonomy over how we respond, how we sort of surrender or let go, that sort of thing. How much are, are we fighting? We we have more autonomy over how that turns out. But on a collective level, you know, there's a lot of players there's a lot of players. So in terms of that um, rebirth process, I really I really think it takes time. Um, I think about how, um, you know, we're a lo- you and I are of the Pluto and Scorpio generation and how certainly while Pluto was moving through a, um, through Scorpio in real time, how those topics were front and center. Um, Pluto and Scorpio, you know, talking about harder to to talk about topics. Um, but as we've grown up and come into ourselves as adult, as adults, we've had we've sort of brought out this deeper discussion. Like Pluto and Scorpio generation, people are like, yeah, let's talk about all the nastiness. Let's talk about how he, how our culture is problematic. Let's talk about you know, the harm we're doing to the planet, all these things that are really unpleasant to older generations, our generation is like, yeah, let's talk about it. It feels good to talk about it. Um, And now that we're actually like having more stake in the world, um, you know, that, that potential of Pluto and Scorpio is able to sort of come into its fullness in a way. Interesting. Yeah. And the, so, yeah, I Go think about um, Pluto and Capricorn and how maybe we didn't see the the ultimate collapse of certain systems that really don't serve the majority of us. But maybe we will if we give it some time and these children grow up. Right. Yeah, it's interesting, I think, too, about collapse or like the part of Scorpio that just wants to see things burn and be destroyed and how um in reality, when things are destroyed very quickly, it does create a power vacuum and something terrible can take its place too. Like I think there is some, you know, in terms of like Capricorns trying to keep systems together because that keeps 
say things from going into total chaos. So there's that side of like, we need to keep some degree of order and yet the order has to shift. Um, but yeah, I think sometimes like pure, like Pluto and Scorpio without wisdom is just like, let's destroy it. Let's burn it. And like, you know, but it's like, what do you really want to create? And sometimes what we want to create is going to take some time. Um, you can't just like destroy something and expect the next thing that comes up to be like a utopia. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like where like enter Aquarius <laughs> because it's so true. Like, uh, like Scorpio can get into that tendency of destroy, 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 call it out, burn it down. Um, but like, where are the solutions? And Aquarius is, is one of those signs that is very forward thinking. It is ruled by Saturn. So it does care about structure and order and really infrastructure. But Aquarius is a sign that does have ideas, that does have ideas about how we solve large, larger issues. So yeah, I'm, that's one thing I'm, I'm pretty hopeful about with this 21 year transit here. Yeah. So tell us about like Pluto in Aquarius, what you're thinking about it and maybe starting just in terms of how you're already seeing it show up. Cause I do think it's offering us some precursors. Sure. Yeah. I think with some of these larger transits, we, it's common for us to see sort of like a teeing up of the transit. So we sort of see things sort of set the stage in a way before the transit comes in to really embody that. And you'll see that too. If you, if you're doing astrological research, you'll see that sometimes the events really start coming in before the transit. Um, and this, that's why. So what we were seeing as I started to write this article and start to put my thoughts on paper was the total mess of Twitter and Elon Musk taking over. And at the same time, I was going through like my own crisis with the whole Instagram impersonator thing. And I was reading that, you know, these these larger tech companies are losing money. Um, they're f laying off a lot of people. I was like, this problem isn't going to get better. And I sort of had this like moment of Pluto <laughs> where it was like, yeah, nothing, nothing lasts forever. Like this could, this could be the end. Like I had that moment of like, what, what would I do without these platforms? What would a lot of people do without these platforms? You know, many people run their businesses on social media. So what does this transit really mean for social media, but also tech giants in general? And that took me into a deeper um, contemplation, which was already really brewing for me around the power of big tech. You know, when we think about Pluto, we think about power. When we think about Pluto, we think about what's hidden. And I am not a computer specialist. I am not part of that Silicon Valley world. I don't know what is going on behind the scenes over there. A lot of us don't, but a lot of us are questioning it. You know, when our phones start sending us certain advertisements for things that we were talking about. Um, the fact that like every single piece of technological equipment could potentially be harvesting data from us. Like we got a new oven this year or last year and it was like 
offering to connect us to Wi-Fi so that we could like turn on our oven remotely or whatever. And I and the microwave too. And it was like, is this really necessary? Is all this really necessary? So I think Pluto and Aquarius is definitely going to highlight the role that technology and especially these big companies um, are playing in our lives. And we've already seen documentaries like The Social Dilemma, which highlights how um, the technology that these social platforms have to influence us psychologically. Um, So, yeah, I'm just thinking about all the ways that we will learn (laughs) what big tech knows about us. Like, how far can it go? That's the thing with Pluto. I said it's gargantuan. It can can blow things to ginormous um, proportions. What we're going to discover about how much these tech companies do influence us and how much money they're making off of our data, you know, that's going to become more common knowledge in the same way what we experienced with like corruption with Pluto and Capricorn, like it became common knowledge. Our job is what do we do with that? I think on a higher note, we're also going to see the potentials of technology to just grow exponentially. I mean, it already is. And that's one of the other sort of touchstones I'm seeing with this tee up phase of as we prepare for Pluto and Aquarius is, you know, we're talking a lot about automated vehicles. Um, Right now, there's a lot of problems with that. Sure. But we have 21 years to maybe work that out. We're also hearing things about, again, Elon Musk and Neuralink, like this brain chip. Um, I don't feel good about that particularly, but what could that lead to? So I just think Pluto and Aquarius is really going to push the limits of what's possible technologically. And in some ways that'll be really cool. And in other ways, it's definitely going to have that sort of reflexive. What, what are the ethical considerations here? Yeah, I, you know, one of the things with Pluto is its connection to evolution and transcending past prior limitations. And in that there's power and power can go in many different ways. Um, And so this kind of collective moment where technology is increasing in power and the ways that it's um, has certain elements of possibility as well as being psychologically disturbing or turning things on their head. You know, like someone was telling me about Um, the AI generator that can write whole essays or novels or something at this point. And like the way that it's so keyed up in terms of somehow anticipating the next word that if you program it well enough, like if you give it the right suggestions or like you know how to ally with the machine of it, basically, that you can produce like a whole essay or novel and that at some point if this technology continues to you know, increase that teachers, you know, who are assigning kids essays won't even know if it was generated by a machine. I already, yeah, I already saw a tweet. This woman was like, one of my students handed in a paper that was clearly written by an AI generator. And she's like, I'm prepared 
to do oral exams moving forward. So yeah, this is the oh, kind interesting. of thing. Yeah. I've been thinking about it too, in terms of like, when I first heard that, I know that some people, you know, who are visual artists are feeling really upset about the AI art generators because they're kind of using art that already exists basically to create. So there's a way that it's like threatening their intellectual property. I thought about it as a writer and having my writing out there and just being like part of my um, philosophy around, say, like plagiarism or trying to protect myself from it. There was some time a while back where I just um, didn't make it a huge personal concern of like not being that worried about people stealing from me because then I would just not create very much. And sometimes I thought like, yeah, if people take my ideas and run with them, I had this almost like Aquarian idea of like, maybe it doesn't have to belong to me. Like this could be open source. Like I just want like people to have their like spiritual or like psychological openings too. But at an ego, at a personality level, I don't want my work being stolen from. So I thought about just how this like technology is really kind of taking and extracting from personal creation and making it this like anonymous public thing despite people's wishes and it's this wave that's just kind of happening yes yes that's another thing that's been really huge you know in the collective lately is that conversation around um yeah like artists work being stolen and uncredited and i saw that other people were saying, yes, like AI has also replaced like translators. Um, but the translations are not good. <laughs> like as far as like um, between different languages, like, you know, you'll see that like on Instagram or on YouTube, like translate this for me. And it's it's never it's never very good. Um, but the translators were saying yeah, and then people want to pay us half the price, but it's actually the same amount of work because we still have to, we still have to translate the whole thing. Um, so yeah, this theme around automation is is something that has shown up in previous Aquari- Pluto and Aquarius eras as well. Um, I'm thinking about the the previous one here from 1777 to 1798. And this was a period that basically led us into the Industrial Revolution. And what was happening with the Industrial Revolution, one of the the biggest themes was that these machines were being introduced that on one hand, um, you know, took a lot of the blood, sweat, and tears out of manual labor but it's simultaneous. So on one hand, it, it liberates the individual. So we're seeing those themes now around can automation do the jobs that no one wants to do? But on the flip side, people have like the same fears that we're having today around what does this mean for the artisans? And I think about like, for example, like a machine that maybe started making like uniform furniture, right? Like that probably was stolen from somebody. Um, But in today's world, certainly there's a market for that. um, But certainly there's still a market for the handmade chair or like, you know, and I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that maybe this will draw more attention to people wanting to pay artists. Um, (laughs) Something it has me thinking about too is just 
um, that certain things can't be faked. Like you can turn in a fake essay or something that you didn't write. But if you're, yeah, speaking, unless you have the brain chip in that's giving you the words <laughs> to say, who knows? I don't want to roll that out as a possibility. But generally, like you can't really fake your embodiment. And it's kind of like the thing with these the fake Instagram profiles, too, is like they're they're not the real thing. They're like this veneer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, and even you were mentioning in your article, too, that AI art is coming up with images that look very convincing but aren't real. Like, I think I saw one that was, like, Burning Man in the 20s, and it showed all these, like, flappers at Burning Man, wow, but they were hilarious. completely fabricated photographs because that wasn't a thing. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's also interesting that it's, like, really kind of obscuring um, the sense of, like, some historical continuity like history is already you know complex and has many different interpretations but just the way that now there's this like added like there was the whole like fake news thing but now it's also like fake history and like the explosion of timelines that look convincing but weren't really a thing. It's overwhelming. Well, I worry for like future generations about it because I would love to see that imagery. That's great. Uh, Burning Man in the 20s. Yes. Um, So yeah, on one hand, it's like really entertaining um, and sometimes really cool. I, I linked something in my article too about how this artist aged John Lennon and Amy Winehouse, celebrities that died tragically young, to see what they would look like if they were still with us today. And I thought that was really cool. But at the same time, you know, what if one of my kids is doing like a school research project on John Lennon and they come across that picture? Like, you know what I mean? Like it, we could, that could pose some serious problems down the line. But I also saw this really cool thing where this scientist like programmed her robot with her childhood journals and was able to converse with her inner child and to have like healing dialogue with her inner child. Right. So on one hand, like maybe we could come up with um, more, more healing modalities like that, that are more affordable too for a lot of people. Um, I know, I know um, therapists need to work too, but they are overworked right now. So <laughs> maybe something like that would be helpful. It's interesting because there is like a particular healing practice of going back to particular traumatic childhood memories and rewriting them and reprogramming one's neurology or emotional body as though the other timeline happened instead. Yeah. It's, um something that I learned some years back. And it's interesting because I feel like Aquarius is really connected archetypally to the Akashic records, you know, which is a space of infinite possibility. It's like everything that is happening, could be happening um, in the future, in the present. And there's just all these different possible timelines. Um, That's fascinating. And if that extends back to the past too, I think that one of the types of evolution that the collective would then need to deal with that is um, some flexibility of mind. Because I think one of Aquarius's major, um, I don't know, like 
flaws or something is mental rigidity. It's sure. a fixed air sign. And so sometimes people are really inside of a mental program. They really believe, you know, a conspiracy theory, for example, or like some very, you know, detailed vision of reality that's just completely made up. Um, and so for people to have the capacity to really zoom out of that and not be so attached, um, I think would be a really important skill, you know, or to choose choose what we mentally identify with or work with very intentionally because certain mental paradigms or, um, you know, fixed air arenas are going to be really life enhancing and connected to the heart or create a better world. And some are you know, dictatorships or fascist or, you know, just really, really unhinged and like out of touch. And I see that with Aquarius where it's like utopia or fascism, like it can be any which way. Yeah. And anywhere in between as well. Yeah. um, No, that's really true that Aquarius and yeah, like having a fixed mindset and thinking about that on a on a collective level, it's like I think of ideology. Um, and that was something I found in my historical research was that, you know, in that previous period I mentioned, 1777 to 1798, that's when democracy, the idea of democracy, the idea of, and it's so Aquarian of like a um like it's anti-monarchy, right? Like it's like the people choose, the people choose. And that idea just swept the globe. I mean, this was a period of revolution. Several nations overthrew oppressive um, power structures. And what's interesting, <laughs> um, you know, a lot of times we we like to think right now we're in our Pluto return but I think our Pluto return continues because the Revolutionary you mean the War. The United States Pluto return. The United States, yeah, because the Revolutionary War didn't actually end until Pluto got to nine degrees Aquarius. So we may still be in it to some degree, our Pluto return. Um, but anyhow, each of these periods sort of had like this dominating thought paradigm that radically shifted the way that people perceive themselves as individuals. Um, The period prior, um, 1532 to 1553, I mean, mean, once we go back this far, it's like a lot of it has to do with like religious ideology. But this is when King Henry VIII basically created his own church with his, with new doctrines. You know, he separated from the Holy Roman Empire. Like it it was like England is its own thing now. And so this really just shuffled, reshuffled the societal and social infrastructure and ideology of this period. So we see that. um, And and that's something that I haven't seen in our tea up yet. So I'm not sure how exactly this will show up for us in the next 21 years. We'll have to kind of wait and see. But there's going to be some sort of idea. There's going to be some sort of like dominating thought paradigm that takes us into that fully steeps us into this period because we see it in every single one where people are changing their minds. People are changing the way that they think about something. And it's like the way that an idea can influence a people. 
Yeah. Wow. Oh, the power of ideas and like the power of like a whole mental paradigm by which people can organize or transform their lives um, or be disempowered in some way too. Certainly. Um, There was the earliest Pluto and Aquarius era you tracked back. It had this kind of like glimmer the way that you described it. Um, You were talking about um, Baghdad and like being welcomed into the city if you had an intellectual talent to offer. And I just, can you describe that? I thought that was really enchanting. Yes. And I think as astrologers, this period, this period should be appealing and fascinating to anyone who loves astrology because, yeah, the period that that we're talking about here is seven, um, the year 795 to 819. And um, this period was prolific in, in the Middle East, what's what we now consider the Middle East. Um, but yeah, Baghdad was basically like a cultural epicenter and it was a this glorious like golden city. It, it was a walled city. And if you came bringing knowledge, if you came bringing books, um, like you were welcomed in. So this was like a very like multicultural city, too. But the whole mindset of this period and, and this and this this sort of flourished before and after the the Pluto and Aquarius period um, here in Baghdad. But this period was also, you know, it lines up with Pluto and Aquarius, this 20 year chunk here. And um, it was basically like the whole mindset of of the people in this part of the world at the time was we want to preserve knowledge, which is a very fixed air kind of thing. We want to preserve knowledge. So what they did was they would hand by hand translate these ancient texts, you know, whether it's spiritual texts or sciences or novels, whatever it might be. And they would they would translate them into Arabic, which later got translated into Latin. Um, they were translating them into Persian as well. And later, you know, into all the languages of the world. So it's thanks to this period um, of the Abbasid Empire that basically we have a lot of the astrological texts that we have today. And we have a lot of, you know, texts from ancient Greece. We have um, texts from China. We have texts from all over the world. Like they basically were cultivating a library of the world's wisdom, of the world's history. And this was also, they were also really focused on like scientific developments, astronomy, optics, like they wanted to understand it all. And one of the coolest things that comes out of this period is math. Um, We have words like algebra. And the one that stuck out to me the most was algorithm. Like that is an Arabic word. That comes from that period? Well, yes, it's an Arabic word, um, algorithm. And like this was a period where they were developing math and sciences and things like that. Um, Yeah, so I believe, and I don't quote me, but it's like, it's around that period. (laughs) It's around that period. You know, I think I've taken for granted, granted algebra, like the word itself being not... English sounding, you know, like it comes from, like, it sounds like a magical word. Yes. Yes. And well, our numerals that we use are Arabic. 
Um, the number zero comes from um, it, it was not the number zero was not a concept in Rome. Like if you do like the Roman numerals, it was not a concept. It was an Arabic concept of zero. Mm. So the numerals that we use and many, many languages have adopted, many cultures have adopted the Arabic numerals. So that was that also emerged from that period. So when we think about standardization of an idea or of a system, like that is a really great example of that. And that is inherently Aquarian, like a fixed, a fixed system, a fixed idea. Yeah. Math is really interesting too. Like I had, um, one of my favorite professors in grad school, Brian Swim was a mathematical cosmologist and would, you know, be working with math to discover things about, you know, how long ago was a major kind of big bang like event or something like to figure out these truths about the universe. And math is interesting in the sense that as far as I understand it, I don't think it's invented ever. It's like a system that just simply exists and that people are discovering it, um, which I think is also kind of Aquarian in the sense that we can look at inventions as something that person created or that they channeled and discovered. Um, and then I think we're also thinking about where the line is with um, technology in terms of inventing things that are like, should this be an invention? <laughs> should we have this? Versus like, is this, you know, really progress too? But math just, I feel like has so much more of a... Um, it just is, you know, it's not, it's not like up for ethical debate per se, maybe the uses of what we do with math, but the actual system just exists in nature. Sure. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, like math, it, it is right. It's there. Any, like, there's a lot of different ways maybe to, to get the answer. But for example, the order of operations, if you don't follow the order of operations, you're not going to get the right answer. So for example, like the order of operations is a, is a system and that a lot of people have adopted in math. So it's like, you know, you do what's in the parentheses first and then you divide and then, you know what I mean? Like there's a system to it. Um, and, and I think about that too in astrology when people teach about the calculations for the Arabic lots, like there's a couple different ways you could formulate it Either way, you're going to get there. But it's like the Aquarian part is the system. Like, this is how you do it. This is how we get there. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll see. I think we'll see some pretty extreme stances in terms of what the systems are, how we think about something, how we approach something. Uh, so, right. What What's the ideal into. way to live or ideal way to organize society? Yes. Ideal way to approach problems. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or understanding of what problems are. Yes. Too. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, do you have any thoughts on kind of the personal individual navigating this era? Like words of advice? Yes. Okay. So that's the biggest question that people usually have is how does this affect me? Um, what's, what is Pluto and Aquarius going to mean for my chart? 
And here's the thing, folks, is that Pluto moves really, really slow. Pluto is going to take 21 years to move through Aquarius. Pluto has an elliptical orbit. So Pluto zoomed through Scorpio. And as the years go on, it's going to be spending more and more time in each sign. Um, so yeah, 21 years in Aquarius. So this is a long one. So you might feel, you might feel a little, what one of my teachers, John Marcusella called a knock at the door. Like when Pluto enters a new part of your chart. Um, so yeah, if you're doing like sign-based houses, when Pluto enters Aquarius, it's going to enter like a new part of your, of your chart. Um, and regardless of what house system you use, you may feel, you know, a Pluto knocking at the door of your Aquarius house. Um, and so you might get like a, a little preview, a little hint of maybe what's to come. But the thing with Pluto is, is that it's not going to be something that you feel in like a deeply confronting <laughs> way for 21 years straight. It's you're you're not really going to feel Pluto unless it's making an aspect to one of your personal planets. So if you have planets or points in the early degrees of Aquarius, you will feel this right away. I've already consulted with a few people that have something at like zero or one Aquarius. And so we're already, we're already talking about that, but the rest of us are going to have to wait our turn. Um, and I will say that my chart is all cardinal. <laughs> so I've just survived 14 years of Pluto transits. I'm even still finishing one up right now and I'm still standing. And so if you have a fixed dominated chart, you if you have a lot of planets in Taurus, Leo, Scorpio or Aquarius, you're going to survive too. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my, my advice, but you would really want to look at what, where Aquarius sits in your chart. Cause those will be themes that come up when you do have a Pluto transit. Um, but hopefully, you know, most of us are going to have to wait a little while to figure out what that really is. So I wouldn't lose sleep over it because you're going to have so many other transits before, for example, Pluto gets to 15 Aquarius. Mm. But like too about just like the cultural moment, like if you have any thoughts on navigating this like influx of tech and just like how does the personal, like how does the individual relate to that landscape? Like if you have any thoughts on that. Yes. Okay. So Pluto moving into Aquarius, we have like a significant emphasis on air and technology. We are in an air era. So I know I know we've talked about this on your podcast before, Sabrina, but like the great conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn, um, those are all happening in air signs now. Um, also, Uranus will be moving into Gemini in a few years which is another air sign. So what we're seeing is a distinctive emphasis on air. And the quality of air is movement, ideas, um, education, and technology. So we are going to see a dramatic shift into these areas of, of life on a, on a collective level. Um, so for us personally, I think another thing that... Pluto and Aquarius will highlight, and I know many of us are already having these discussions, is the effect of technology on our biology. 
and our nervous system and needing to take breaks or people do like social media detox or phone cleanses and that sort of thing. I think exploring more modalities like that can support us as biological beings. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking about embodiment also, kind of like the Taurus square to Aquarius. Um, I'm thinking about when ideologies are sweeping through a collective that um, sometimes people get like swept up in it and what prevents us from getting swept up in, you know, a, a cultural trend is I think being more rooted or having, you know, noticing where we have receptivity to just kind of be carried off with the wind of like whatever is culturally trending. Right. And I think there's a a balance or a choice with Aquarius, with Saturn of like being in the world and being a participant in the current moment of time and, you know, what's culturally normal, as well as the type of standing back, observing and feeling into like, but where do I stand? And I just think about how when there's like, you know, I don't always feel like culture is friend, you know, like sometimes culture is going through some kind of moment that's psychologically uh, off in some way. Like it's also like a cultural um, complex that's playing out and kind of like how Pluto and Aquarius may challenge the part of us that, you know, either wants to belong the part of us that unconsciously chooses belonging, the part of us that simply rebels reactively against what the culture is doing and just kind of like getting really clear on how we truly want to relate to culture and society and like the group think um, in a time where I think the group think and like group ideas are going to have so much more power. I love that so much and I completely agree. And that's one reason why you'll often hear like the concept of cults associated with Aquarius um, with that like fixed air group think kind of motif. And at the same time, Aquarius is, is the outsider. Um, and no matter how you add it up, like you could, you could, you could look at Saturn, you could look at Uranus as yeah, like Aquarius, it's it's so important to question, as you were saying, like to question where, how do I align with this? Because as we've seen in, in prior eras, like with the French Revolution, like that started off as like, you know, we the people, and it turned into this bloodbath, you know, where the oppressor or the oppressed become the oppressor. So that is something that you sort of need to look out for, because we know with Pluto, that there's always the potential of going a little a little too deep, right? <laughs> like um, <laughs> into the shadow realm. Uh, so yeah, I think there's room for all these different variations of that expression. But learning from the past, especially in regards to something like that, um, yeah, it's definitely a good thing to keep in your back pocket to question where your values align with the way with the way things are moving. Right. Um, something I'm thinking about too, that I'm curious what you think about is that, um, the author of Frankenstein, 
-hmm. has um, either Pluto and Aquarius natally or Pluto was in Aquarius when she published it. I'd have to like check, but Mary Shelley. (coughs) Um, And just if you have any thoughts on Frankenstein and the connection to like AI currently. Yes. (laughs) I do have (laughs) thoughts on this. Yeah. Um, I think about... I don't think I I don't think I knew that she had Pluto and Aquarius, but it makes sense because I often think about um, when I think about the archetype of Aquarius, I do think about Prometheus a lot and how Prometheus was like the creator of of mankind. And how he was a titan, but the Olympians like kept him around and then he wanted to like save his creations and he was punished. He was, like, punished for that. Um, and so being an outsider, daring to think differently, it is sort of like this Aquarian thing I, I think about. And I think Frankenstein is kind of similar in that there are consequences, right? There are consequences to technology, like Prometheus giving this technology of fire to human beings so that we could have our own like independent journey without depending on on the gods as much, right? And yeah, it's kind of the same idea with Frankenstein of the limits of technology. And um, I think that there are always consequences with it. And yeah, that's something that we encounter repeatedly in our species. Like when we when we do um, push our possibilities to that next level, like we're moving into this unknown frontier. So there are there are going to be benefits, but there's also going to be consequences. And it's just like, how do we how do we sort of balance that in in our in our mind, in our ethos? So yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting because I think about, yeah, when you bring in Prometheus, it's like going from a state of not knowing or ignorance to then having the knowledge and maybe with knowledge comes power, but also just the general pulse of desire to expand and how there's like this natural like curiosity too of like, oh, I would love to know what I don't know. Maybe also a simultaneous resistance for thinking about the like battle um, of Pluto, but just kind of how um, that storyline of Prometheus or kind of being introduced to technologies or information that have a lot of power would be a collective theme and a personal theme and, you know, to explore. And I think this also shows up in terms of how people decide their attitude or stance on um, technological progress. Like if they have a more conservative feeling toward it of like, this isn't necessary or like, this is too much. Versus if they're all like, I'm going to get the first self-driving car that I can buy, you know, and just how some people really want to run in, you know, rush in and other people are skeptical. Um, Yeah. And just that we're going to be faced with a lot of those, it seems like, with Pluto and Aquarius. Agreed. Agreed. It's like that self-driving car example. Like, um, and they're not fully self-driving, but. I've just been seeing so many headlines about accidents with them. Um, so, yeah, it's like the idea of it sounds really cool, but I don't want to be the I don't want to be first. I don't want to be I don't want to be the test dummy. 
Yeah, that's what, you know, and then I, I hear people talking about it who have this like, uh, such a deep faith almost it seems in like science or technology that they're like, yeah, like sign me up right away. Yeah. And just like, there's something about it that's, um, I just think it's like psychologically disturbing. And I don't mean that in a judgmental sense, but it's just like being, I think throughout history when technology advances, there's always a reaction to it of like, you know, like a cat seeing something totally new and just like kind of backing away from it, being like, what is that? Or sniffing it and just that it feels really, you know, if it's so big, Pluto, it's so collective. It's like an energy that's sweeping through. It has this way of like, it's not in our personal control whether these technologies advance. Like it's a sense that it's a wave and it's happening, but then how do we relate to that wave um, being kind of like the personal to be or not to be <laughs> kind of like question of the time period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suspect there's going to be a lot of that, <laughs> a lot of that, a lot of because that's the thing with technology is that it evolves so quickly and there's not really a whole lot of time for, well, for one, legislation to catch up with it, but also the general public is in the dark about everything going on behind the scenes. So there's not even enough information that's out there circulating for us to have like a thorough discussion on ethics. But I know, for example, like in the EU, there are laws, there are more laws that protect children online and like gathering data on children and stuff like that. Than we have here in the United States, we don't we don't have stuff like that here in place yet. Um, so as a parent, <laughs> those are things I'm thinking about. Um, I choose not to share a ton of information about my my child, um, well, soon to be children online, because I, I want to protect that. You know, I share them because I love them and I'm proud of them and I can't not. But there's certain things that I'm not going to share that I don't want a corporation to have ownership over, for example. And we haven't seen that effect yet. We haven't seen that yet, where children are growing up in a world where their entire lives are being documented and recorded. And like, I wouldn't put it past Pluto and Aquarius to do something nefarious with that. You know, not saying everyone, not saying every big tech company is doing that, but we know how we know how it gets when when money and profit blind um, morality, you know. Um, So I I'm nervous about what could come out potentially on that front. Like um, we have people turning like turning 18 this year who have been alive since MySpace. You know what I mean? So like, we're just coming into this now. Right. And it's like this sci-fi world is unfolding before us. Um, That's kind of the feel I'm getting as this, you know, Pluto hasn't even entered Aquarius, but we're starting to see the kind of seeds of it in terms of what's progressing technologically. Yes. Um, anything, you know, in 
like the other side of the potentially daunting themes that we've brought up, is there anything that you're excited about for Pluto and Aquarius in terms of collectively or personally even? Yeah. Um, I think that, well, I, I know I mentioned this earlier, but like the capabilities of technology that could potentially liberate us, I think it's good to question. And there's there's always been nervousness with with technology. That's that's not new for us, you know, to fear like a robot takeover or to fear that it's that's not new for human beings. Um, but I do think that it there will be good things that come out of this period in terms of liberating individuals from work that doesn't pay very well, for example. Um, and then, of course, we'll have to solve the other issues that kind of come from that. But we've figured it out before and we'll figure it out again. Um, so, yeah, I, I am very interested in 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 that um, of what what could come out of this that could be really exciting. I also think that Pluto and Aquarius is going to do is going to play with leadership a little bit because we know that the opposite sign of Aquarius is Leo, a sign that we often attribute to like individual leadership in um, on a collective scale. So Aquarius will often highlight like group leadership. And we've seen that in the past where people put their minds together like a think tank and come up with like these brilliant ideas moving into an air age we are going to see like a sweep of ideas like we've seen in previous air periods that that um, period we were talking about in Baghdad, too. That was also an air era with the proliferation of of ideas, of invention, an emphasis on education. So, yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping to mm. see that. I'm hoping to see us collectively value education again and make it much more accessible and affordable for people. That sparks something for me, like the think tank and thinking about like groups of people gathering to invent or discover something together. Yeah. Um, I also really think of like, I really love the energy of like a friend vacation, you know, like groups of, especially like in the astrology community, I want to see more of that, like in the coming years. But um, whenever like we gather, like I think Aquarius um, to me has not just been you know, gathering with people in like a local area. It's been like bringing people from across the globe or across the country. And we share this very particular niche interest like astrology. We all meet up in a physical location, like an astrology conference, and it's life changing to be around each other. And so I think about like people gathering in this way where they are really like selecting to be around each other and they're like inventing something together and that could be like artists you know that could be anyone but just like the field or the electricity that gets created and generated when people bring their minds together yes yeah i'm i'm hopeful that this transit will have sort of a cool effect on astrological organizations um i'm sorry Yeah, in terms of what Pluto and Aquarius can bring to astrologers and like group leadership, I'm hoping that we'll see some sort of like revolutionary 
sort of taking off and like concentrating of forces and getting excited about education and what the what they can offer potentially as as an organization. So I'm I'm interested to see how Pluto and Aquarius affects like the major astrological organizations. Um and I do think that and especially this is like a total aside um but like Saturn and Pisces, I think that that is going to push us as astrologers to show our credentials. And so I'm hopeful that Pluto and Aquarius as like an adjunct to that can can like, I don't know, like reinforce the access to that sort of thing for for astrologers. Well, thank you, Catherine, for all the research that you did and gathering um, information about the history of different times that Pluto has been in Aquarius. I think that's really rich to think about. Um, Thank you for bringing your knowledge to us. Is there anything um, that you'd like us to know about working with you or connecting with you? Yeah. How people can find you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me back, Sabrina. I love connecting with you and I love our chats and yeah, it's an honor to have this conversation with you. Um, yeah, basically you can find me at katherineurban.com. My books are closed right now cause I'm about to go on maternity leave, but if you get on my mailing list, um, you'll be the first to know what I have going on <laughs> again in the spring. But for right now, yeah, my books are closed right now. Um, you can also find me at Astro Catherine across the platforms. Um, my Instagram is private now because that was my solution to all the impersonators, just at least for right now. So far, so good. You can still send me a friend request. And as long as you're not a robot, I will accept you. <laughs> <laughs> it's very thematic for our conversation. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. Well, definitely get on the mailing list then, those of you listening. Um, and thank you for joining me again. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Likewise. Thank you for listening. If you've been enjoying this podcast and you have something to say about it, I would love to read your review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you take a screenshot of your review before you click submit and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll send you a resource library about creating and elevating your reality. This library contains several hours of content about the intersection between kind of create your reality teachings and astrology. And it includes one of my favorite talks I've ever given called Leo and the Evolution of Alternate Realities. Thank you so much for listening. Your reviews really support the growth of this podcast, as well as your word of mouth when you share this podcast with friends or post it to your stories on Instagram and tag me at Sabrina Monarch. Thank you so much.